All right, here we go. It's podcasting time. Dr. Jenna Burton is here. We've got also Dr. Neil Galletli joining us. And we are going to be talking about your health, your well-being, and hopefully unpacking, as I was talking to Jenna earlier, the ads that are now out on the internet and the radio reminding us about colon cancer and go get screened. And according to the latest ad that I heard yesterday, I'm well overdue for a screening by at least 12 years. So I'm, I'm getting nervous because it said every hour, your health is more at risk. So that's where we're going to go this week on the podcast. And I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into the conversation. Jenna, it's great to have you back. Thank you for having me, James. No, no, I'm here. And I think we should also just check, did you... Um, did you pronounce Dr. Neil's name no. correctly? No. That, that Neil sounded pretty good. I could see you had the Neil. I got Neil. that. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like, so I'm, I'm curious. So let, let's jump right in to colon cancer and, you know, all things to do with that part of our bodies. I, you know, this is the time of year. Is it, and I actually, Jenna said, you know, it's, it's colon cancer month, right? Or screening month or it's i mean i'm hearing all the ads mm. so there's a month for everything james <laughs> <laughs> there is indeed a month for everything but yeah march is for most of the world colon cancer awareness month okay. so you know in the u.s in canada in europe it's, it's colon cancer awareness month now the uk we like to be slightly different. We probably <laughs> saw that the Europeans had chosen March, and we're like, no way, we're not doing that. So confusingly in the UK, bowel cancer or colon cancer awareness month is in April. Oh, so, okay. you know, if you're listening to this a few weeks later, well, you know, you're still, you're still in bowel cancer awareness <laughs> month, so that's great. Um, and I think in Australia, it's uh, kind of because it's all upside down uh, course, there. It's in course. the summer sometime, but yeah. I wonder who decides what month is which. I don't know. I'm wondering who decides. Do we go with bowels? Do we go with colon? How, who's deciding which part of the world we're we're going to use which nomenclature? I mean, I, I I mean that alone is an entire podcast. But it's you know at least we got a month. At least it's it's shining a spotlight for a month because I get the sense and and Jenna, you could you can help verify this as well. But I get the sense that when we talk about bowels and colons and cancer, put those two words and that other word together, people kind of zone out and say, I don't, want to, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have a conversation about it and, and just carry on with their lives, hoping that everything goes okay. Well, I think you're absolutely right there. It is one of those topics that's kind of not talked about and polite yeah. dinner table conversation, isn't it? <laughs> so it is really important to have that awareness month to kind of get the message out there. But, you know, also remember colons are for life. They're not just for March. So it's something to be aware of the whole year round. But it's funny because we talk so much about breast cancer and lung cancer. And yet colon cancer is one of the big cancers and it does have... I don't want to say a high death rate, but sometimes it can present quite late, especially if it's on the right side of the colon. And yet people aren't quite as aware of it as some of the other cancers. But yeah, it's, you know, it's prevalent. should mean that it is something that is talked about, talk about screening more regularly. So what are we looking for? Like how, at, at what, what age should I really start being, being concerned? And what are some of the, the signs, symptoms, etc., that I need to keep on mind? Sure. So, Colon cancer, you know, it's like many diseases, it gets more common the older that we get. And traditionally, we've talked about needing to start screening, start being increasingly aware from above the age of 50. Now, depressingly, 
there seems to be increasing numbers of cases in younger adults now. And so um, a couple of years ago, the US recommendations changed. So now they're recommending that everyone from the age of 45 starts thinking about colon cancer screening. Here in the UAE, the local population is, uh, has got a high incidence of colon cancer at a younger age as well. So in Dubai, the guidelines are starting at 45. In Abu Dhabi, the guidelines are actually saying in, uh, at the age of 40. So it is something that is getting depressingly more common in a younger age group that you wouldn't have thought was uh, associated with uh, that sort of disease. Why? Sorry, James, to cut in, but uh, why do you think the UK is so late? The UK is so delayed. It seems like they tend to screen much older populations, and they certainly don't have anyone in the 40s being screened uh, routinely. That is, obviously, it's got quite a strong genetic predisposition. Um, but for those general member of the public, seems to be screened a little bit later. Like, why do you think that is? So, you know, I think a lot of it is about resources and about being able to deliver a screening program effectively. You know, it's fine saying, right, that is, we're going to offer everyone above the age of 40 a colonoscopy every two years. But if your health system doesn't have the resources to be able to do that, then you're just uh, setting yourself up to lose. So the UK has actually, I think, taken a really pragmatic view, and they initially started uh, screening, I think, at the age of 55. And then each couple of years, they're kind of whittling the age down and down and down as the ability to screen increases. But remember, you know, the screening program, this is an additional workload on top of the already busy workload of gastroenterology departments, you know, everyone coming for colonoscopy because of symptoms. You've then got to fit in this big cohort of people that need screening. So, you know, I think the UK have given it a somewhat resource-limited healthcare system in the NHS. They've taken a very pragmatic view of saying, right, okay, what can we achieve? Where can we do the most good? And as the ability to screen has increased, the age range for screening has increased as well. So what are, what are some of the signs? I mean, if we're starting in, in you know, the local population here in the UAE and different parts of the world as early as 40 starting to screen for colon cancer, what are some of the signs that we need to be keeping our eyes out for that might even be pushing me towards going to get screened? Well, so of course, what's important to realize is screening, we're talking about people who don't have any symptoms. Mm. You know, if you're waiting until you've got symptoms, that's not screening um, and is potentially too late. But if we're talking about the sort of symptoms that you can get from colon cancer, the sort of things you should be looking out for and going having a chat with your GP or your gastroenterologist are if you're seeing blood when you go for poop, if you're seeing a change in your toilet habit, you know, if you're always a once a day kind of guy and now you're going two or three times a day and that's been going on for a few weeks, well, that's a, that's a change that it would be worth having a conversation with your doctor about. Again, if you're getting persistent tummy pain, that's something to come and have a chat about. If you're losing weight unexpectedly, and, you know, goodness me, we're all keen on losing weight, yeah. but it's when it's coming, <laughs> dropping off unexpectedly, yeah. then that's another thing to come and have a chat about. I, I love the idea that we go and get screened 
you know, and is, are we talking yearly screening is what is being recommended in, especially once you reach, depending on the age, let's say, let's say it's a 45, 47 age group. Once a year, you should be going in and getting screened. Is that the protocol at this point? So I think it all depends on the screening modality that you choose because there's, there's different ways. Of oh, there's not one size fits all. Oh, no, no absolutely. Of course not. It's, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, it's a good point and I'll let Neil take over in a second, but a lot of people get really nervous about screening because they think someone's going to touch them, go near their bowel, yeah. have to have some sort of intimate examination. And sometimes that's appropriate, but the majority of the time screening doesn't involve that at all. And so I'll I, let I don't think people on, realize that. Which I think sometimes yeah. puts people off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, no I, think, I, I think you're right. So probably the two main ways of doing screening are you can either do a poop test every year. And what we're looking for in the poop test is microscopic hidden traces of blood. Way too small for you to see, but... If you've got an early growth, either a polyp or an early cancer in the colon, they can just shed a few drops of blood from time to time, and this really sensitive poop test will pick this up. So one really good way, really effective way, not particularly invasive way of screening, is doing a poop test every year looking for hidden traces of blood. Now, the downside of that is if you get a positive result, then you'll need to go on for possibly a more invasive test. Now, the other recommended way of screening is with a colonoscopy. And that, of course, is invasive. It involves looking inside the colon with a camera. And we can probably talk a little bit in a few minutes about colonoscopy, demystify it a little bit, take away a lot of the, the fears of colonoscopy. But, of course, it is still more invasive than doing a poop test. And doing a colonoscopy, it allows you to have a really, really good look on the inside of the colon. You can find... And also, and this is really important, remove even the tiniest polyp from the colon. We think pretty much all colon cancers start life as small polyps. So if you find small polyps, you remove them. It stops them ever from having a chance in the future of turning into something. And so that's why colonoscopy is such a good screening tool, because you're not only looking for a problem, you can also deal with the problem. And by removing polyps, you can potentially prevent cancer in the future. So that's why, that's why colonoscopy is a good screening tool. But if you have a colonoscopy and it's all clear and you don't have a family history of colon cancer, then you're good for about 10 years. Wow. You can forget about it. Okay. You can stick your head in the sand for a good <laughs> 10 years. That's, I didn't realize that. That's pretty good. Mm. Now, if, if can, I, can I also yeah, just yeah. say that we should talk about what polyps are? Because there'll yeah. be a lot of people listening that are saying, what actually is a polyp? Yep. And it's, we, hear, um, we hear the word. But what do you know what it is? Nah, I mean I've got I've seen the pictures, so I've got an idea. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, I, again, it's one of those words that, in a sense, I get the feeling there are different things that polyps can be, or they can be, you know, be different growths and yeah. placements and all sorts of things. They can so they can occur in the bowel, and there are three different types of polyps, and some are more likely to go into cancer than others majority of them are sort of they almost look like a mushroom i suppose mm. on the bowel and they're non-cancerous but they are a tumor so they're a tumor but they don't have the ability to sp start spreading and um going into the bowel and, and, and sort of spreading around the body however they are a precursor so usually if you find a polyp as dr neil said you will tend to t remove them at the time that you find them so they have the ability to become a, ch a, a malignant cancer in the future Mm. And I, I had a statistic that about 95% of colon cancers tend to start out in life as a polyp. And I think you mentioned that as well. In fact, 
you said even more so. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's probably about ninety five percent that we think. And yeah, polyps. They're they're as Jenna said. They're like kind of little, initially benign growths on the lining of the colon. They can look like little warts or like little mushrooms. And probably you know only two or three percent of polyps are going to carry on growing if you leave them in place. And potentially over a long period of time, we're talking around 10 years or so, grow from this tiny polyp into a colon cancer. And you know, that slow growth rate is why if you have a normal screening colonoscopy, you're good for 10 years because, you know, these things grow slowly. You don't need to be having these tests every year or so. Hmm. And, and removal, as you said, if you're in for colonoscopy, the, the removal process of these polyps is fairly straightforward? It's, for the vast majority of polyps, it's very, very straightforward. It's, they're, they're, they're removed routinely as part of the procedure. And that way, you know, if it was one of those polyps that might carry on growing, it's gone. gone. It's not going to grow anywhere. And then, of course, you test them. <laughs> and then, of course, we test them. And, you know, unless the polyp is over two, three, four centimeters in size, mm. it's almost certainly not going to be cancerous. So what you're testing them for is to see if it's the sort of polyp that is potentially precancerous. As, as, as Dr. Jenna said, there's a few types of polyps, and what we're wanting to look for and remove are the ones that are potentially precancer, that have that small poten- uh, percentage of chance of growing and growing and growing over time. D- d- is, when we speak about colon cancer, is, is everyone pretty much susceptible to this? Is this something that the, the older we get, the more likely we are to get polyps, the more likely we are to start to develop some that could be cancerous? So pretty much so, James. I mean, uh-huh. you know, if you've got a colon, then you're susceptible <laughs> to colon cancer. It's as simple as that. And the risk tends to go up with age. Now, certain people, they have a higher risk. You know, for example, if you have a strong family history of colon cancer or colonic polyps, that's going to put your risk up a bit. But everybody, if you've got a colon, you're at risk. You're at so-called average risk. And so you should be participating in a screening program, certainly from the age of 50. But as we spoke about earlier, maybe considering starting at the age of 45. There are things you can do to moderate your risk. I mean, for some people, they, they will go on to get cancer. For, you know, it could be because of family history or because they're just that unlucky person. However, you know, if you smoke, if you are obese, if you have sort of generally lack of, of healthy living, so you're not particularly active, if you're someone that consumes a lot of red meat, because as the blood in red meat breaks down, actually creates like a carcinogen um, within the colon. So people that ha- consume high quantities of, of red meat and people that have got a low fiber diet as well, these make it, it's, it's considered a risk factor anyway for m- you're more likely to develop colon cancer. It doesn't mm. mean you will. It doesn't yeah. mean that you won't but it by sort of avoiding them, but it is something that will make it more likely for you to go on to develop So, I mean, that's, that's, that's our goal then, right, is to have the, the better diet and to try and mitigate those factors that could manifest later on in life. Yeah, I think people always want to have, right, so if I do this and I do this and I do that's this. That's what I'm thinking. I'm definitely <laughs> not going to get colon cancer, and that's just not the case. Uh, if you're somebody with a first-degree relative who had colon cancer, especially if they were younger, then, you know, it's worth having a chat with your doctor because potentially you're someone whose screening might need to start a little bit earlier. Right. You might just need to have the symptoms of colon cancer a little bit more in your full mind um, because 
it's something that's more likely to happen to you. Yeah. But yeah, I think everything we talk about, James, always comes back to a healthy diet, exercising regularly, trying to keep your weight relatively neutral. All these things help yeah. to sort of ward off many different things. But it doesn't mean for definite yeah. like, <laughs> that you're never going to get anything. And of course, you might just be that unlucky person that gets the sporadic cancer that just occurs and you've had polyps and you've not known about yeah. them. I mean, and that's that's a scary thing. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously, listening to our bodies and and watching and paying attention to change can help to indicate, hey, you know, I need to go get screened because we, as opposed to ignoring it and then waiting down the road and find finding out, oh, if you dealt with this earlier, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. And that sounds to me like the typical cancer kind of issue is, oh, I, just, I didn't pay attention, I just let it go. And, you know, and, and that is the big tragedy of colon cancer because a lot of cases can be prevented, that uh, diet and lifestyle can certainly make, uh, make a difference. Participating in screening programs has definitely been shown to make a big, big difference. And colon cancer, you know, even if you find colon cancer, if you find it early, in the earliest stages, over 90% of people will survive. That's, that's it's huge. So, so it's, you know, it's eminently treatable. But the trouble is, the tragedy is that once colon cancer has been there a while, it started to spread through the wall of the bowel, it started to spread elsewhere in the, uh, in the body, then, you know, your chances of survival are significantly less. And so, and this is true, not just of colon cancer, it's true of any cancer, it's yeah. probably true of most diseases. The sooner you find them, the sooner you intervene, the sooner you make a difference is so important. We should also just mention, too, that we talked about blood loss can sometimes suggest that you mm. might have a cancer that's present. And obviously, it's always worth talking about any form of blood loss with your doctor because sometimes it could just be something quite benign like hemorrhoids. But if you have blood that is mixed in with the stool, that means it's something that will warrant further investigation. Would, would you be able to see that? Too? I mean, if it's just, a, I mean, you, you've got microscopic amounts that you test for with stool test, okay, because you can't see it. It, unless you've got a whole bunch of blood, I'm thinking, you're you're not really going to see that blood, are you? I mean, and 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 how many people inspect their their poo anyway? That's the other question. Aside from me, you'd probably be able. <laughs> well, people do see it because people do present after yeah, it. So, yeah. and it also depends. There's a varying amount as well. Okay. And sometimes people can even describe like a little bit of bleeding in between stools, which is mm. again, that's really not normal. But usually, the typical is somebody will describe that they've seen it in the stool, or they've they've wiped and they've seen something again. Yeah. It could be hemorrhoids, but it, it could be something more sinister. And the other thing to mention is you can get a cancer in different places of the bowel, and sometimes if it's quite early in the colonic tract, that you can actually start to break down and digest the blood, and it you, your stool can present almost like a charcoaly type black color. How large? So I'd be interested to say how large is a colon. Oh, it's large. You'll know this, deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't remember. Because I'm just thinking a colon is a small part of the end of our digestive tract. But Okay, so your, <laughs> col your colon is called Smaller. the large intestine, but it's not the oh, large yeah. intestine because it's long. I mean, in terms of length, your colon's probably about 80 centimetres or so. So it's right. not super, super long. Um, it's called the large intestine because the diameter is, is bigger. Okay. And then, you know, if you think back to any anatomical drawings you've seen, there's that kind of long squiggly bit yep. in the middle. That's the small intestine, which is narrow in diameter, 
but is long. It's meters and meters long, and that's where kind of all your absorption of nutrients and goodness happens. And then you know, once uh, once all the goodness has been taken out, the poop goes and goes into the colon. And really, the job of the colon is to kind of take water out of the poop, is to compact it ah, and okay. get it ready for um, expelling. Ah, okay. So this is so then if we you're talking at the start of the colon, you know you as it's removing water and and such, then you might not even notice. Yeah, the more typical history is a dark type stool would suggest that there's bleeding higher up the GI tract, like the mm. stomach, for instance. But it can happen a little bit in the colon as well, um, especially if it's sort of on the um, uh, the right hand side of the colon. And it's just worth noting because people always think. If there's blood in yeah. their stool, they're always looking for fresh red blood. And yeah. yes, that is absolutely the case. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah, fresh and it is the ma- yeah. majority of the case of colon cancer. But if you have a dark charcoal type stool, we often say it's like like almost like a soot type colour. And it's often quite sticky in the pan. Um, and it would look different. You know, it would look different to what you normally have. Then that warrants... Um, a visit to the doctor, whether it's colon cancer or mm. whether it's, you know, could be something else. You could have a bleeding ulcer that's further mm. up in the GI tract, but also worth noting that is also blood. Is, is there any indication why we're starting to see this issue happen in people as they're younger? I mean, right, even in their 40s? I mean, that just seems so young to be experiencing these, this condition. It does, doesn't it? And it's it, it's quite depressing. We think it's probably a lifestyle thing. We probably think it's a thing is probably a diet thing. You know, as Jenna alluded to earlier, there are a lot of lifestyle things that make a difference. Uh, one thing that maybe she didn't didn't mention: processed food. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, your burgers and and so on. They're a particularly kind of big no no. Uh, you know, as with anything. You've got to take things in moderation. So we're not right. sitting here saying, right, that's it. No steaks, no burgers yeah. for the rest of your life. But we're <laughs> saying, can I, you know, don't go out to McDonald's necessarily every evening, yeah. just moderation. Mm. I think that's what me, myself and James talk about a lot, isn't it? I think it? it's all moderation. Yeah, mm. it's about if you try and do something to the extreme, it's not going to last. And also what kind of life is that to live as well? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just everything in moderation. One of the things you we, we spoke about is, is you go in and you have an internal exam. As soon as someone says, okay, you're going to have to drink this stuff, we're going to clear everything out, and then we're going to put a tube up there with a camera, and hey, if we see any polyps, we're going to take those out too. People kind of go, exactly the face you've just made. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Yet, I, it, it's so important. It, it is important. And you know, I think there is a lot of fear out there about the thought of having a colonoscopy. When I, when I see someone and explain to them about the procedure, I always tell them the worst bit is the day before. The test itself is easy. <laughs> but the day before, honestly, it is a little bit miserable for two reasons. First of all, you have to be on a liquid-only diet. And having done it a couple of times, I can tell you that it gets really boring really quickly. But, you know, it needs to be liquid because you need to be flushing stuff through. Yeah. The cleaner it is, the more your doctor can see, and so the more valuable the test is to okay. you. And then just to add insult to injury, you know, the afternoon or the evening before the test, we make you drink this kind of big jug of dynamite that makes you go to the toilet a whole bunch of times. And again, you know, the cleaner you are, the better the test is. So that's the most miserable bit about the test. It's not awful, but it's not so, so much fun. The test itself is easy. You come along to the clinic or the hospital and um, you get given medicine in the vein that'll put you into a nice deep sleep. Technically, it's not a general anesthetic, 
But for all intents and purposes, it feels the same. Mm. You go into a nice deep sleep, and while you're snoring gently, <laughs> then your gastroenterologist gets on and has a gentle, careful look. A thin, flexible camera goes inside with lots of lubrication. Your gastroenterologist is going to steer it gently all the way around to the beginning of the colon, and then just pull it back inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, looking behind all those folds, making sure that there's no polyps, no growths, and as we spoke about earlier, removing them if we see them. And most colonoscopies will typically take about 20 to 30 minutes. Oh, that's really fast. Yeah, exactly. It's not, a, it's not a, you know, an all-day thing. It's a pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty quick procedure, but you'll be blissfully unaware of it. Then after the procedure, you wake up again, you get fed and watered, and goodness, you're going to be feeling a bit hungry by then. And uh, the gastroenterologist will be able to explain to you exactly what they've seen, exactly what they've done. Show you the video. Yeah, if you want, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I think the problem at the moment is it's time. People are so yeah. busy. And, the, you know, we often talk about screening, go and visit your doctor for this, da da da, da and, and people are just so tight on time. They've got so much on their shoulders. Maybe they've got children and a job, etc. It's so hard to yeah. say, right, okay, I know I need to go for this colonoscopy. I need to set aside that day before for the bowel prep. And I need to set aside the, the morning after, well, it's really the whole day because you have to recover from the sedation that you've had during mm. the colonoscopy mm. to, to do that. And it's hard to, to get over to patients Look, it's a small thing to do, and I appreciate time is tight, but it's so valuable and so worth it's it. It's one of those things you've got to plan in. Yeah. That's true. But, you know, remember, as we said, you're good for 10 years after that. Yeah. So <laughs> that 10 years, does that also account, say you're in your 50s and you're going for this? So it's 10 years from whenever you do one? Or? Yeah, as long as your colonoscopy is completely normal. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have any extra risk factors, you don't have a strong family history, then you're good. Now, if you have a colonoscopy and maybe you find one or two small polyps, then we'd probably want to bring you back in five years. If you do a colonoscopy and we find kind of 20 polyps there, then you will be coming back in a year. But you'll kind of realize if you've got 20 polyps growing there, you'll want to be coming back in a year's time. So these polyps actually grow pretty slowly. Yeah. Which that's a good thing. That is definitely a good thing. No, absolutely. And yeah, that's, uh, that, it's great that you've got this big, big window of around eight to ten years to intervene. We talk polyps. Is, is it possible to have colon cancer that without polyps, but you notice there's infection or uh, infection is the wrong word, but you notice abnormalities in, in the wall of the colon? Is that also possible? It's, it's, it's possible, but honestly, it's, it's pretty rare. Okay. Uh, the, the vast majority come from polyps. Now, they can be, you know, rather than looking like a great big mushroom, they can be very flat polyps. They can be a little bit more difficult to detect, and that's why you want your gastroenterologist to be taking a really careful look while they're doing their procedure, taking their time, pulling the camera out. Um, now, interestingly, um, you know, artificial intelligence is uh, all the rage in medicine at the moment. And there's some really, really good artificial intelligence tools for colonoscopy that will kind of basically make a nice little ping sound and draw a little box okay. around anything that it oh, sees nice. as a polyp. Yeah. So you've got these, uh, these really great tools for helping you identify even the subtlest, flattest of polyps. Nice. And, uh, you know, so to increase the chances of everything being spotted and removed. That must take the pressure off you a little bit as well because there's so much focus on you being able to identify everything. It must be quite an intensive 20 to 30 minutes during the colonoscopy for the, the doctor that's there as well. So it must be great to have that almost backup or another, it almost feels like another another pair of eyes. 
Well, I think having that second set of eyes, as it were, where you know there, there's really good evidence that that does increase the yield of polyps found. It does increase the uh, the benefits of doing the test. So yeah, it's, it's it's a really useful thing. It's still pretty much in its infancy, but I'm sure that in two or three years, pretty much every endoscopy centre will have kit like this, and they'll be offering that. Has has have the tools of the trade changed much in the last few years, or is this you know when we talk about the the endoscopy scope and the tubes and it's pretty much stayed the same so i guess what's changed is um the optics you know back in the old days doctors were kind of peering down the scope looking down these fiber optic cables which more often than not had started to break so you you know that you weren't getting a very very clear view everything was looking really really fuzzy but over the last 20 30 years the the advancement in the optics is amazing and now you know you're getting ultra high definition cameras you're seeing incredible details of uh, what's going on through the uh, th- through the endoscopy so i think that's that's a key change the optics that we've got there and there's little clever techniques where you alter the amount of blue light or red light or whatever in the uh, in, in, in the light that is being reflected off the colon tissue that helps you identify structures in a little bit more detail and then, as we spoke about, we've now got the AI tools to help us identify things. So I think the main, main changes over the last 10, 20, 30 years are about the optics, about the visuals, about these incredible images that we can now get to help us see what's going on. And, and do you find people are more attuned to be thinking about this, in the, you know, especially in the last 10 years or so, you know, going in, getting a screening, before there's some reason to have it so they're you know they're feeling fine i'm gonna go get screened do you find this happening more often now than it did in the past well i guess the advantage of having these yearly awareness months of being able to talk talk like this it's about increasing awareness and i think there is slowly increasing awareness of this but still there are too many cases of colon cancer being caught late and there's still a lot more work that we can do. I feel like in Dubai, there's only two types of patients. There's, <laughs> there's, no, no, it's so true. There's either the patients that you can't get in. You yeah. can't get in to get checked. They're too busy. You maybe do some blood tests and they might come back in six, seven weeks, despite many phone calls for their follow-up and to discuss their blood results. Um, there's actually a patient I'm trying to track down now because I can't even get hold of her. Wow. Um, so... Some patients, it's really hard to get them in and come and get these screenings. And then there's the patients that you have to actively talk out of having the procedures <laughs> because they really don't need them. Doctor they had it last, yeah, they had it last week. Everything was clean, crystal clear. You it's don't need to go lock. back. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I find like patients seem to be on such a wide spectrum and you get very few that are sort of in the middle. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I love the demystification that, you know, you don't have to go and get, you know, go through the invasive process yearly necessarily if, if everything is fine and, and I, I get the impression that that's for most of us then you, you've got a 10-year window and you keep exactly and you know again about the demystification I think it's the fear of the unknown a lot for any medical test and yeah. particularly ones that involve tubes going up your ass then you're yeah, like, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> exactly and you know I, I, I say to people you know I, I explain all this and say but only once you've had the test will you realize and then you'll be fine next time but yeah. it's you know getting over that kind of mental hurdle of saying okay i'm going to go through it 
But then you realize, yeah, actually, it wasn't that big a deal. I'm really glad I did it. I'm really glad for the reassurance because I think it's natural. We all worry about what's going on inside and, oh, yeah. my goodness, the things that we can't yeah. see, what could be growing there, what could be going on. Yeah. So I think there's a huge sense of relief, a huge kind of weight being lifted off people's shoulders. When they come, they have the test and they're told, listen, you're all good. And and the the whole hereditary thing is is another flag that goes up. And you know, obviously, if if this is if you've got polyps in the family, you know, go and get checked. I mean, it just makes sense. Men more than women, women more than men is, or is it you know, is it gender neutral when we come we talk about colon cancer? You know, it's pretty much equal opportunities. Okay. There's maybe a slight <laughs> pro- <laughs> there's maybe a slight preponderance in men. Uh, maybe because we kind of have those better lifestyle habits with, yeah. uh, you know, the red meat and uh, so on. But there's not a big, big difference. Okay. Unfortunately, colon cancer affects both sexes and uh, definitely everyone should consider screening. The, the fact that it's earlier ages, that that is just alarming to me. That's something I didn't realize. I hadn't been paying attention you to know, this. You it's just even from a personal perspective, I've known quite a, a large number of people in their 30s with colon cancer and some have, some have lost their life yeah and that's that's not looking at just statistics i am aware that it's becoming more prevalent in younger ages but that's just from a personal perspective and you think gosh it's really it's really sad some of them have had um family connections of people that have also had cancer in the family yeah. and others haven't and it's just you know it's sadly it is a byproduct of the modern world that we live in if you had to make the pitch dr neil for people to get screened, to get this on their mind, to be talking about a healthy colon, what would it be? What's your pitch? It's, uh, you know, I guess it is emphasizing that this is a potentially preventable disease. If you come in and see your doctor, you know, if you simple tests, we can prevent problems in the future. So don't ignore it. Come in get looked at it's preventable that's the, that's the key thing it's preventable it, and that, that that would be the the real kick in the butt so to speak is if you hadn't gone and been screened and then you found out that this was an issue and you could have prevented it you never stop it'd be a bad day it would it? be a be very a bad, bad day. day yeah hey, it's been a lot of fun this is really this has really opened a lot of a lot of doors for me and we should mention where you can find dr neil yeah at health bay clinic do you want do you health bay here in dubai uh, We'll put the number into our our description of the show. Health Bay, you know, great service provider here, great place to go. So, um, and and go and have a chat with Dr. Neil. We've we've been having a great conversation right here. And what what you hear is what you get, or what you see is what you get. We're also on YouTube, so it'll be a lot of fun. Any, anything you want to round off with, Jenna? I think we've covered everything, James. What were you expecting from me at this stage? I think I think the the thing to say is. Yeah, if, if you're unsure, go and see your doctor. Dr. Neal's in Health Bay on Alwazel Road. Always worth having a conversation. You don't lose anything from a quick appointment, so just go. And, and, and absolutely, and it is just it's this conversation. I won't be whipping out my colonoscopy uh, kit at the first time. If you just want to have a chat about things, that's absolutely the, the, the thing to do. And, of course, if you're listening to us or watching us from around the world, go and have a screening. It's as simple as that. Thank you both very much for joining us here on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. It's Doc Talk, and we'll be doing it all again really, really soon.